Man, it is hard to not be excited to worship God after that, right? Man. Thanks, team. If only our drummer was a little more excited on Sundays. I mean... Hey, it's so great to see so many of you here in person today to have so many of you joining us online out there in the virtual world. It's great to be with you. For those of you who are newer, my name is Fitz, and I had the privilege to serve as lead minister here at Oklahoma Christian, and uh, and it's one of the great privileges in my life. Before we get started today, I just want to remind you that Tuesday is election day. Now, some of you may have already voted early, and that's great, but for those of you who haven't, Tuesday is your last day, and the elders and I encourage you to vote, and we encourage you to vote according to a biblical worldview as best you can, as best you understand that. And you know, we sent out a message earlier today for those of you who regularly receive text messages from us. You received a text message with some uh, links to some really helpful articles from our friends at renew.org. Renew.org is a theology site uh, that is uh, just, it's a great spot to go for all kinds of helpful info. And those articles we sent out will help you navigate the intersection between faith and politics. There's also several articles on there to help you uh, learn a biblical worldview on many of the most relevant issues affecting the election cycle these days. And if you did not receive that from us, if you text NOTES to 502-289-1387, uh, you can receive those articles from us. Now, I want to speak for just a moment to one of the issues facing us this election cycle. Here at OCC, we believe that every person is made in the image of God, formed by God, and therefore all life is sacred in front of God. We also believe that life begins at conception. So in a couple days, we have the opportunity to vote for life, to vote in favor of life. And while we realize that the issue of life is way bigger than the issue of abortion, and we realize the issue of life is way more complex than just one vote and one stance on an issue, we do believe that voting yes for the amendment this week is a good step and a helpful step in the right direction. That we don't believe it's the only step any of us should take, and we do believe that this is a really complex issue, we do encourage you to vote that direction. Now, that said, we know there are people who disagree with us on that. We even know that there are people who love Jesus who disagree. And so if you're one of them, I want you to know that we believe that you are made in the image of God. And whatever your stance on abortion, whether you're uncertain, whether you're in favor, or whether you're opposed, you're welcome here at OCC. We love you. God loves you. And we also want you to know that if you're a person who has had an abortion, we believe forgiveness is offered to you, that God loves you, that we love you, and you are welcome here. But we also think it's important for you to know where we as a church leadership stand on really important issues. And so our stance on abortion is that we are opposed to it, that we stand on God's word as best we can, and that we have an unwavering conviction and a commitment to life. So we think you need to know that. We believe you need to know where we stand. Here at OCC, we believe that the Bible helps us navigate all areas of life. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is inspired by God, that it's useful to teach us what's true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It goes on to tell us that it corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what's right. And so as best we can, we try to live in accordance with God's word, allowing it to be our guide, allowing it to steer us. And so because of that, 
We base our sermons, our messages, our teaching, our lessons always on God's word. We mentioned this a couple weeks ago. And so we encourage you to continue to use the notes app that we've provided for you. If you weren't here with us a couple weeks ago, we made this uh, available to you. It's a new um, it's a new resource we have. If you text notes to 502-289-1387, and I encourage you to do that. If you've not already done this, go ahead and get out your phone. Even if you're one of those people who's like, well, I don't use my phone in church. Just humor me this once. Go ahead and text it. You'll re- receive a link to our notes app. It allows you to take notes on the sermon. allows you, even the cheat sheet, maybe you're one of those people who you get more distracted by taking notes. It has the notes already filled out. There's a button for that if you prefer. I used to be a teacher. That's really hard for me to say. I just got to, you know, that's like giving away the cheat. That gives you my answers before I even get to it, right? But that's okay. You have that. It's also got a spot for you to take your own notes on stuff. Maybe there's a song that hits you. Maybe the way we take communion on a particular Sunday strikes you. There's a place for you to take notes on those issues as well. But we believe that the whole point of all the talking that we do up here, all the talking I do up here, is to get you talking about the same things in your circle of influence, uh, get you talking about those things with Guy, get you talking about those things in your household, get you talking about those things in your small group. If you're not part of a small group, I really encourage you to jump into a small group. That's one of the best things you can do to move your faith forward. So text notes, 502-289-1387. You'll get a bunch of resources there, including the notes app. I encourage you to use it. Well, as we begin the sermon today, I just got a quick question for you. And it's actually going to begin with a statement. This I have up here, a tomato. Some of you might call it a tomato. If you do, you're wrong. It's a tomato. Um, but is a tomato a fruit or a veggie? Let me see the hands. Those of you who say it's a fruit, let me see the tomato fruit hands. Well, we got a lot of tomato fruit hands in service. Last service didn't have them. How many say a tomato is a veggie? Let me see the hands of the veggieites out there. All right, well, good news for all you veggie people. You're wrong. <laughs> Technically, botanically speaking, now a nutritionist would tell you it's a veggie, but a botanist, botanically speaking, a tomato is a fruit because it has seeds and it grows from the flower of the plant. There are several other things like that, cucumbers and others that do the same thing that are then classified as fruit. Now, For those of you who thought it was a veggie, you are now smarter because of this. You're welcome, right? Up until that point, you were just ignorant. Now, don't think that means you're stupid. It just means you know, right? Intelligence means that you have the information. Intelligence is being informed. Ignorance simply means you haven't been informed yet. You lack the info. doesn't mean you're dumb or stupid or anything like that. It just means you don't yet have the info. So now I've moved some of you from ignorance to intelligence on the tomato category. But wisdom is knowing what to do with the info we have. Foolishness is not doing the right thing with that info. So here's how this plays out, right? Knowing that a tomato is a fruit, not a vegetable, is intelligence. Knowing that you better keep your tomato out of my fruit salad is wisdom, right? Like, don't be putting tomato in with my apples, my pears, my mandarin oranges, my kiwi. No, that would be disgusting. Put it in with my lettuce and other stuff, right? Put it in with the greens. That's wisdom. So we all know people who are very intelligent. They have tons of info, but they're foolish. They don't put any of it to good use. And we know people who are seemingly ignorant. They lack info on a lot of things. But with the info they do have, they're very wise with how they live it out. Some of that might even apply to some people and their faith. Some people who know a whole lot about Jesus, they've gone to every class ever taught here at OCC, but maybe they don't put any of it into practice. It's not very wise. It 
It's more than having the information. It's what we do with it. It's the wise application of that info. The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament is a book chock full of wisdom. And it's wisdom and information that's as relevant and as useful and as helpful now as it was thousands of years ago when it was written. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Now, friends, we're in the midst of a, of a series on finances called The Quest, and it's the quest to find financial health. We're letting Darren Key's book, The Quest, steer us in this series. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you may have received a free copy of that. If you haven't received the free copy for your household, we have some available for you out in the lobby. For those of you online, you can let us know, and uh, we'll send one to you in the mail. Or you have one for you here at church to pick up if you'd like. So get that book if you haven't. But the wise have wealth and luxury. Fools spend whatever they get. You know, you've probably heard it said that money talks, right? But for most people, their money has a ridiculously limited vocabulary. In fact, for a lot of people, it's only one word. Goodbye. (laughs) Your money isn't saying much other than see ya. Now, Proverbs 23, 5 tells us that the blink of an eye wealth disappears. For it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. You know, when I was younger, my money didn't even talk to me. It didn't even have the courtesy to tell me goodbye. It just silently flew away and left me wondering where it went. Maybe that's been your story. Maybe that's happening. Maybe that still happens to you. And you know, the U.S. government is actually pretty kind. They put an eagle on the back of every dollar bill to remind us of this principle that the money just flies away like an eagle, right? Government's not typically very kind with our money, but in that instance, they are. You know, because of this, it might not surprise us that the average American last year spent a dollar twenty-two for every dollar they made. Well, that's thinking. For every dollar they made, they spent a dollar twenty-two. That's nearly a quarter of overspending for every dollar. Now, does that seem wise or foolish to you? And knowing that, it, it might not surprise us then to learn that the average American has $8,000 in credit card debt alone, not to mention home debt, car debt, other debts, student debts. $8,000 of credit card debt. And while the Bible doesn't teach that all debt is evil, it does teach that debt is dangerous. Proverbs 22, 7 says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now this word translated slave comes from the Hebrew word abed. Abed. And abed we might actually better translate as bondage. The average American is in financial bondage, tied up like prisoner. They're in slavery to those who they're in debt to. And that's an unfortunate place to live, right? Most Americans living in financial bondage. In the U.S., debt has just become normal. In fact, there are even those who say, well, debt is necessary. We gotta be in debt. We can't live without debt. But yet, I think sometimes... We miss the point of that, right? I think sometimes we don't realize how powerful debt really is. If we take that average of $8,000 in credit card, now we're going to talk some math today. We're going to use some numbers. So just hang with me, especially till the end. It's going to make sense. If you're not one of those math people, if you're not a numbers person, just stick with me. Just bear with me. Keep it at the high level, right? But let's say you're one of those people. You got $8,000 credit card debt. And your interest on your credit card is 20%. That's pretty normal, pretty typical for a new credit card these days. 20% interest on 8,000 debt. If you pay your minimum payment, you know how long you're going to be paying on that credit card? A minimum credit card payment for $8,000 credit card debt, you will be paying that for the next 40 years. 
You know how much you'll end up paying in total for that $8,000 in debt? $64,000. You owe eight grand, it actually is going to cost you 64 grand in 40 years. Some of you won't even be alive in 40 years, all right? <laughs> like that's, that's problematic, right? Like the cost of debt is crazy. Too often we're asking the wrong question. We're asking, well, how much will this cost me each month? When the better question for us to ask might be, what's the real cost of this? What's the total cost of this? And forget the 40 years and 60 grand we're paying. What's the relationship cost? What's the marriage stress? The personal stress? Well, what's the cost of opportunity loss? Things that we can't provide for our spouse, our kids, our family, our friends, the kingdom, our church. Because we've bought things we don't necessarily need with money we didn't have. And we're still paying it off. Friend, what's the actual cost of your debt? If you didn't have a debt payment each month, how much could you spend on better things? How much could you save? How much could you give to family, to friends, to charity, to the church? What's the real cost of your debt? Proverbs chapter six says that if you're in debt, you should work as fast as you can to get out of debt. That you should be as a gazelle trying to escape from the hunter. I love that metaphor. I love that picture. The gazelle running away from the hunter. And that sounds great. You're in debt. Get out of debt like a gazelle you know, running for its life. But how do we do that? How do we escape the bondage of debt? Well, for some of you, you got into debt pretty quick. For some of you, it can happen overnight. It can happen with just the signature on a page. And there's debt. Unfortunately, to get out of debt... Usually takes a bit more time, but it doesn't have to take 40 years, doesn't have to cost you 60K. Maybe it can happen much sooner than you would think if you're diligent and if you're wise, according to some biblical principles. You know, one of the most proven debt reduction plans and processes out there, it's called the debt snowball. Dave Ramsey made this famous, actually Larry Burkett made it famous before him. And it's this principle, just hang with me, right? Let's say you got a handful of things that you're indebted to, right? You owe, you owe money to five or six different places. Well, you start with the smallest one. And you apply as much money as you can to pay off that debt as quickly as you can. Maybe you reduce your standard of living for a little bit. You start eating PB&J and you start eating rice and beans at night. And you have some things sitting around the house that you, know, you haven't used in the last year or two or 10 or 20. And you sell those things off. You get rid of the extra golf clubs. You get rid of those things that you don't really use anymore. And you apply all that extra money. Maybe you pick up a little side gig and you apply that extra money towards the debt you have. And you go hard after that debt. You go hard after the smallest debt you have. And you'll find that you can pay that off usually pretty quick. A lot easier than you'd think. And then once you pay that off, don't go out and celebrate and say, woohoo, let's spend, you know, we, we got all that money back. Now let's go buy something else. No, no, no. Don't do that. And don't celebrate too big. Don't go extravagant. Like, oh, now we go on vacation. No, 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 no. You take the money that you were spending on the debt and the extra that you've done, and now you apply that to debt number two, the second smallest debt. And now you're paying even more on that. And then you'll pay that off faster than you think. And then once that one's paid off, again, you apply that to debt number three. And then when that one's paid to debt four and then to debt five. And what you find is it might not take you 40 years. It might only take you four. And you'll find that momentum builds and you find encouragement along the way. And I encourage you to celebrate each time you pay off a debt. Now, don't celebrate by going too extravagant, you know, but maybe just treat yourself to a little extra dessert. Maybe treat yourself to something small but fun, make it meaningful. But keep it simple. 
And, and when you do that, you'll find that you pay your debt down sooner than you realize. But in order to do this, you're gonna have to employ a very simple, but oftentimes hard to practice principle. Stop spending money you don't have. You gotta stop spending money you don't have. Now, to some people, that seems complicated. So we've got a video to help us understand this. Let's take a look. Oh, I just can't get these numbers to add up. It's like we're never gonna get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. Oh, let me see that. If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? <laughs> I tell you where and how in Chapter 3. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. <laughs> well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. <laughs> now I'm really confused. <laughs> it's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? No. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. <laughs> The advice is priceless, and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. <laughs> now, I love when Saturday Night Live actually takes biblical principles and puts them into practice, right? I mean, that's straight from Scripture. And you can't beat Steve Martin's face as he jokes about this. Now, that's actually a way more sensitive subject for some of you than it is just to laugh it off. And we don't want to poke fun at that, but we do want to help you with that. If you ever need help with your finances, reach out to the church office. We'll connect you to some people who can assist you with that. But let me tell you, Proverbs 27, 23 tells us to know the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. And that's as important for us now as it was to them back then. You know, back in those days, your wealth wasn't determined by the number of dollars in the bank account. It was determined by the number of animals you had out in the field. If you had a lot of cattle, you had a lot of sheep, you were really wealthy. If you had some cattle and some sheep, you were doing all right. If you didn't have any cattle, you didn't have any sheep, you were poor. Now, for us, most of us aren't shepherds. We're not cattle ranchers. Most of us don't have flocks and herds. So we might better translate this a little bit. We might... Turn that to know the condition of your stocks, right? The principle behind this is that we need to know how much money we have and where it goes. We need to know what we own, what we owe, what we have to pay, what our debt is. And that means we gotta keep track of it all. And that means we need a budget. Now, some of you hear budget and you think, oh, budgets are restrictive, oh, budgets are tough, oh, I don't know how to. Listen, a budget is actually for you. And to help you create a good budget, to help you 
have a budget that's manageable, uh, I'm going to let you know of a really trusted uh, financial partner out there. Crown Financial Ministries has been around for decades, and they do a fantastic job. Larry Burkett was the lead guy over Crown. He was a very godly man. And there's a few things on the Crown Financial resource that are linked on our uh, resource page under financial resources on our church website. Uh, and we'll put these uh, available for you on the, on the net this week. We'll include it in an email to you. But a few of the things that I'd encourage you to take a look at is the money map, the budget guide, and the debt snowball. And those are three really helpful resources, and they're free. Now, Crown Financial also has some resources on there that cost a little bit of money. But I'll say this. Even if you got to spend a little bit of money up front to get the resources that are going to help you get out of debt and manage your money well for the next several decades, it's worth the investment. Pardon me. I just get choked up about this stuff. That was a terrible joke, but I'm a dad, so get used to it, right? Dad jokes galore. Now, planning wisely and developing a budget is just sound biblical principle to know how much we have to know where it goes. And this is a proactive step. It means we tell our money where to go instead of just reacting and wondering where it all went. This means we gotta, if we really wanna get out of debt, if we really wanna manage our money, we wanna stay out of debt, you gotta nip it in the budget, right? You gotta nip it in the budget. And you gotta tell your money where to go. Because if you don't tell your money where to go, it's just gonna tell you goodbye or it's just gonna fly off without telling you anything. So you gotta know where it's going. So I'm going to give you a few principles to help you do this. Now, first principle, you work that debt snowball. But as you work the debt snowball, I encourage you to also create an uh uh-oh fund. And the uh uh-oh fund is also known as an emergency fund. Begin with trying to build up about $1,000 for the rainy day, for the problems that come. Because we all know life brings problems to us. So do your best to build up about $1,000 in a saved fund. And this is for just emergencies. Now, eventually you want to build that to about three to six months of your income to protect you against the rainy day because we know that rainy days happen. This doesn't mean we don't trust in God. This just means we're not careless and we're partnering with God to do our part to not block the blessing and allow God to do his part to take care of us and provide for us as he would. Proverbs 22.3 tells us that a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The prudent person says, someday something bad's gonna happen. I'm gonna be ready when it comes. But the simpleton goes blindly on and then suffers the consequences. You know, you know that bad things are going to happen. You know that things are going to break down. Water heaters will stop heating. That was a cold reality one day in the Fitz home years ago. Van transmissions stopped transmitting. That was a long drive home for the Fitz family years ago. Employers may stop employing. Bones break. Teeth get knocked out. Stitches need to be, you know, put in. I don't know, put in stitches. You need stitches, right? Bad things happen. Medical problems happen. Problems come your way. You gotta be ready for them before they do. That way they don't take you by surprise. And this emergency fund is for the emergencies only. And then as you do that, as you work the debt snowball, you build up your emergency fund, then save for upcoming purchases. Look down the road and know what's coming because we all know there are things on the horizon that are going to be expenses for us. The kids are going to need braces. They're going to need a college education. The car that we drive eventually is going to be undrivable, and we're going to need to replace it. We're going to need to put on a new roof. We're going to need to replace certain things in the house. And you build up the savings for those things that are coming down the road. And if you want to take that vacation down the way, you save up for those things that you want to do, not just the things you have to do. You save up for them so that you don't go into debt 
to do those things. And just like the video says, if you don't have the money for it, you don't do it. So you save up for it to keep you out of debt. Proverbs 21.5 says that good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. Good planning, we plan ahead for it. But hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Now there is no shortcut to saving. There's no get rich quick scheme that actually works. In fact, most people who get rich quick, it flies away pretty quick. The average person who wins the lotto goes bankrupt within just a few years. So I encourage you, plan and work hard and be diligent along the process. So you build the uh uh-oh fund, you save for upcoming purchases, and then you work to build wealth. And that doesn't mean that you build wealth just for yourself. Listen, it's not evil, it's not a sin to have money. What you do with that money can be sinful or it can be holy. You can bless others or you can rob others. So I encourage you to build your wealth, to invest in your future, to invest in your family, to invest in God's kingdom work. And one way to do that is to take advantage of your work, if you're still working, to take advantage of the retirement plan at your work if they offer a matching system. If they're giving you any kind of match, that's free money. So take advantage of that and use that to help build wealth for down the road. But whatever you invest in, whatever money you make, also invest it in God's kingdom purposes. You know, there's so many options for investing. I'm gonna keep us out of the weeds today and I'm gonna direct you instead to some people who can help you figure that out. Darren Key in his book, The Quest, which we've made available to you, offers some great suggestions in there. Christian Financial Resources, who we partner with, can help you with your investing. There's some other local Christian business financial advisors who we'd love to connect you to who can help steer you in that if you have any questions. But over all of that, the principle that guides all of our investing is this, that we wanna take advantage of compound interest, that we wanna utilize compound interest. Now, when God created the world, he created the world with some very specific laws in place that govern how the physical universe works. Things like the law of gravity and the law of motion, Things like the law of thermodynamics. Well, one of those laws is the law of compounding interest. And and undergirding all the other ideas is mathematics. Like math plays into all of it. So contrary to popular opinion, math did not originate in hell, but it actually came from God. (laughs) All right. So your high school math teacher was actually trying to do you a favor. That was actually holy work that they were doing. So go easy on them, right? Because math is from God. And I just want to give us... Just, I'm gonna get into the numbers again, so stick with me if you're not a number person. You remember earlier, that $8,000 that we talked about that you might be in debt? It took 40 years and $64,000 to pay off. What if we were able to reverse that and instead of owing 8,000, we were able to save 8,000 and then we invested it, let's just say at a very conservative 6%. Now, many accounts do way better than that over their lifetime, but if you just make 6%, on 8,000, and let's say you park it in that investment and you leave it for 40 years, and you'll never add to it, you'll actually make over $80,000. So the true financial cost of your debt is 64 in the hole or 80 grand in your pocket. And that's pretty significant. And if you had an extra 80 grand in your pocket that you could bless others with, and that were to give you peace instead of the stress of debt, you could really honor God with that, couldn't you? You know, all these mathematical principles, 
I'm going to let you know the theology behind it. I think one of the reasons God talks a lot about money and there's math throughout scripture is because God knows that there's a great metaphor there for the bigger issues in life. That saving, investing, getting out of debt, spending is way bigger than our pocketbooks. It's way bigger than our budgets and our bank accounts. That if we invest our lives into the things that matter most into God's kingdom, these principles of financial investment play out in kingdom investment. That we spend our lives to help other people get to know Jesus. We spend our lives for the kingdom cause. We invest our energy in the kingdom cause. That we do what we can to help save other people from a hellish finality to their life. You know, these, this principle of compounding interest and, and multiplication actually factors into the Great Commission. Jesus told us, he said, go everywhere and tell everyone about me, teaching them to obey me, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. And, and in that, he said, go to all people in all places and make disciples. He didn't just say make converts, but make disciples. Now, if you were to just simply make converts, let's say you led one person to Jesus every day for the rest of your life. Let's say you got 33 years left. For some of you, hopefully you got a whole lot more than that. For some of you, that's a stretch, all right? But let's just say you got 33. You lead one person to Jesus every day. That's 365 people you lead to Christ every year. That's impressive. You do that, you're one of my heroes, all right? Like, that's awesome. After 33 years, you will have led 12,000 people to Jesus. And that's to be applauded, right? That'd be pretty awesome. But that's not Jesus' economy. That's not Jesus' kingdom principle. In fact, Jesus says, to reach everyone, focus on the one. He says, tell everybody about me. But focus on your one. And make disciples. And disciple making is a longer term process. Disciple making means we get into somebody's life. So what if instead we simply invested our life into one person every year to help them find Jesus and then follow Jesus and then they began doing the same thing of investing their life in one person every year to help them find Jesus and then follow Jesus. Well, this starts pretty slow. Year one, there's two of you. Year two, well, you now each have somebody else, and there's four of you. And you get five years down the road, you got 32, that person leads somebody to Jesus every day, has got 1,800. You get to year 10, a decade in, you've got 1,000 people, that's pretty cool, but the person who's leading somebody to Jesus every day has 3,600. But notice what happens in three decades, in 33 years, lead someone to Jesus every day, you got 12,000. You invest your life in one person every year, teach them to do the same, and they teach others to do the same. In 33 years, you've reached eight and a half billion people. You've evangelized the world. And that starts with one person. We got a lot more than one person in this room. We got a lot more than one person online. Friends, what if... We all follow Jesus' model. Jesus took 12 guys and he dumped life deeply into him. He taught the multitudes, but he invested his life into 12. And he taught them to do the same, to reproduce themselves. And we know one of them, one of them didn't follow suit. So this number's gonna break at some point, right? Because some of those people aren't gonna follow. But what if everyone in here were to begin doing that? What if in the coming year, each one of us were to take one person and we were to go just hard after that one person, begging God for their salvation every day, praying on their behalf, doing whatever we can to get into their world, to love them towards Christ, to lead them to know our Savior. And then we teach them to do the same thing. What if to reach everyone, 
Each one of us just began with one. I think that's the direction God is moving us. And if we were to do that, what might happen in just a few years? This isn't outlandish. This is God's plan. Now, friends, of all the investments we can make, of all the investing that matters, Jesus tells us to invest our lives in the things that matter most. In Matthew 6, he says, don't store up your treasures here on earth where moss eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. No, 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 no. Store your treasures in heaven where you don't have to worry about moth and rust and thieves. Instead, invest in what matters most. He goes on and he says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now notice what he does not say. He doesn't say that where your desire is, where your heart is, there your treasure will follow. He says that whatever you invest in, your heart follows your investment. Your heart follows your treasure. So choose your treasure wisely. Listen, many of you, you might not care about a particular company, but you invest in that company, suddenly you are really concerned about whether it succeeds or fails. You might not give a rip about a house down the street, but you buy that house, suddenly you're really concerned about the upkeep of that house. You might not care about a particular car, but you buy that car, you really want that car to perform well. You're concerned when it gets a scratch. You're concerned with how well it drives. Similarly, you might not care about a particular ministry or a mission or somebody else's discipleship, but you invest your time, your sweat, your energy, your finances into that ministry, into that mission, into that person. What you find is that you become very acutely aware and concerned for their well-being and their spiritual success. So Jesus tells us to invest our lives in the things that matter most in other people. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't have homes or cars or other investments. It means those things shouldn't own us or dominate us. And those things we should use to help people. Those things we should use to further the kingdom. And we make the most of those investments. You know, we've talked a lot about debt. We've talked a lot about financial debt today. But I got to tell you, there's a debt far worse than financial debt. And that's the sin debt we each owe. Jesus said, says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins, by the way, that includes us. There's no exception to the everyone. That includes you. That includes me. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We are in bondage to sin. And the bad news is you can't earn your way out of this. You can't buy your way out of this. You can't do enough good deeds. You can't spend enough in the church offering plate for that. There is no debt snowball for your sin debt. And that seems like really bad news. When the apostle Paul, when the apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he said this, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature wasn't yet cut away. You know, that's the cost of our sin debt is death. That's the penalty demanded for our sin rebellion against a holy God. But then God made us alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. What great news is that church? He canceled the sin debt that we deserve and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, your sin debt was nailed there with him. Forgiven, freed, redeemed, you're restored, no debt any longer. If, if, if you trust him as your savior and you allow him to be king over your life. But that's the only way you get out of that debt. Now, you can pay off every debt you have financially in this world. You can make millions of dollars. And at the end of your days, you can have millions of dollars to your name. But you don't take care of this debt, it doesn't matter. There are a lot of rich people who are going to end up in hell, not because they're rich, but because they haven't taken care of their spiritual debt. And you can't buy your way out of that one. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, one of the last things he said was, it's finished. He said, it is finished. 
And, and this comes from the Greek word to telestai. And I love this because it's a financial term. It's a term that was used in the market. That when the transaction would be done, they would say to telestai. The deal's done, the debt is paid, it's over, it's finished, I've paid it in full, there's nothing more to pay here. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. To telestai, it's finished, it's paid in full. Now I'm gonna date myself a little bit. Y'all remember the movie Braveheart? Some of you weren't even born when it came out. It was back in the 90s. You need to go watch it, skip a couple of the bad scenes. But great movie, great story, I loved it. You remember William Wallace leading Scotland to freedom against England. And then Wallace is captured and he's tortured and they're trying to get him to pledge his allegiance to the king and to beg for mercy from the king. And so they torture him and it's gory. I won't go into details because you're going to eat lunch soon and it's gross. But they've got him. My things are like spilling out. It's gross. It's nasty. He's there on this thing. And they've been just torturing him. And they're saying, you know, you pledge your allegiance. Just beg for mercy and it'll end. And Wallace is there and it makes for a great movie. It makes for this great scene. Wallace with his guts spilling. Sorry, it's just gross, but it's true. Like it's what happened. And he's laying there and he musters everything he's got for one final statement musters his final breath and they think he's going to beg for mercy and in a moment of defiance he cries out and you remember you've seen the movie right what does he cry out say with me freedom right like and then he's he's gone right but it's a defiance against the evil of the crown listen what i love about that as I, I geek out on history, but what I love about that is it's an imperfect picture of our king on the cross for us, of our savior paying our sin debt. Then in this moment when he cries out, it's finished. It wasn't a whisper. It wasn't a whimper. It wasn't a cry of defeat. Satan thought he'd won by killing the savior. Jesus knew there was resurrection was coming around the corner. Friend, this was a cry of victory. This is the battle cry of the redeemed that Jesus on the cross cries out with everything he's got in his final breath to tell us die, to tell us die. It's finished. Your debt is paid. Sin no longer And you don't take care of that sin debt, no other debt matters. So you got to get that one right, friend. If you have never surrendered to the king, if you have never claimed his tetelestai freedom over your life, then today is your day. And there's nothing more that we love to talk about around here with the new person than that right there. So if you have not taken care of your sin debt, you meet us after this service right out there in the lobby at the next steps counter. You find me, I'll be standing in the lobby. You come up, you let me know it's your day to talk through that. Because you got to take care of that debt. It all starts there. But if you have taken care of that, I want you to remember that Jesus didn't just die to save you from hell at the end of your life. He died to save you every day from now throughout eternity. That he wants to save you from addiction. He wants to save you from financial debt. He wants to save you from anxiety and depression and from hopelessness and from broken relationships and from pride and greed and lust and whatever else has got you in bondage. He died so you'd be free from that bondage. The tetelestai power of God should be alive in you. And so church, I hope that if you don't yet know that, if you're joining us online and you don't yet know that, that today is your day. And I pray that if you do surrender to Jesus, if you've done that, that his power is displayed every day in your life. Let's pray. God, it's hard to not get excited about what you have done for us. We did not deserve it. Our sin 
deserves death. Our rebellion deserves for you, a holy God, to turn your face away from us and to leave us. But instead, you love us and you came to us and you left the richness of glory to come in to the poverty of this world. That you who are rich in glory took on the poverty of our sin debt on a cross to save us, to free us. God, we thank you. There's no way we could repay you. So instead, we just offer you our lives full and complete out of praise, out of worship, out of gratitude to say thank you to our Savior, Redeemer. And God, for any who don't know that yet, I pray that today they would turn, that today they would know your saving power in their lives. And God, for all of us who have, may our lives declare day after day, moment by moment, that it's finished, that we're free, that our King reigns now and forever. Oh God, may you get all the glory. In Jesus we pray, amen.